0: So I'm going to read from uh, Philippians 3 again, and uh, I'll begin reading in verse 17, and we'll read through uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Again, Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I, I have um, often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. this evening we begin on verses 18 and 19. We, um, Paul continues to seek to encourage uh, these individuals in their walk with the Lord. Uh, he is, uh, and Paul does this more than once, and Peter also does this, and so does uh, the Apostle John, where they do have to spend a little bit of time talking negatively about others. Sometimes the, uh, uh, they will name them but oftentimes they would just kind of get into the characteristics of those who are false teachers or those who are seeking to lead us astray, those who are in ministry uh, for the wrong reason. And so he wants to warn uh, individuals about that. Part of that warning is not just so that they are misled, so that they, they won't necessarily follow the wrong person, which Paul doesn't want them to do, But also, I think Paul wants to give to them a great sense of assurance of what the truth is, because even if someone doesn't follow a false teacher, false teaching can affect you. You can begin to doubt what you know about God. You may doubt your salvation. You may doubt the goodness of God. You may you may doubt uh, the wrath of God. There's a lot of things that, that can take place that will affect the way we think and feel and the way we behave without us being pulled astray to actually follow false teachers. And so, Paul is going to get into that. So, that's what he does in verses 18 and 19 is he begins to go through a description of what drives these individuals, what motivates them, uh, so that these individuals will be able to recognize uh, these false teachers. So, again, verses 18 and 19, he says, for many, all right, so it's not just a few. This is not like something that just uh, happens on a rare occasion. Uh, It's something that, that is... Uh, happens a great deal. So it happened a lot in the early church. It happens even more now. Um, and it is always amazing how many individuals, Christians or people who are going to church, can be so easily deceived uh, and begin to wander away from the truth of God. But it, it just it happens. And it's just, it's really unbelievable when it comes to that. I do believe that often... Uh, and I don't know what the percentage would be, but we have to be aware of this. And that is often people who are misled are actually misled because they want to be. Now, when I say that, they're not sitting in their living room thinking, I want to be misled. But the idea is, when I say they want to be misled, is as human beings, because of our sin nature and, and, and our makeup, we have a tendency to naturally gravitate the things we like to hear. So somebody may have a stance on a particular issue, whether it's political, social, moral, or theological. Someone may communicate it in a particular way. And because it's appealing to the flesh, appealing to the way we're already thinking, we we can gravitate to that without actually analyzing it in light of, but what does the Scripture say? We're like, yeah, I like what so-and-so says. Okay, but is it truth? Is it, is it accurate? And we, ha- we have to ask ourselves that question whenever we hear anybody, no matter who they are, we want to ask that question. Is this what the Bible actually teaches? So there is a degree that some want to be misled, but when we are misled, even though God always holds responsible those who are doing the misleading, He also holds us responsible for being misled. In other words, he expects, he's given us his word, so he expects us to know the truth. That doesn't mean that you and I can't be deceived. That, that it can happen. In fact, the Lord warns us, don't be deceived. But he's given us what we need to enable us and help us to not become deceived. So he's, A, he's given us his word. He's preserved his word. It's no accident that you have the Bible in your language. Right? That's not an accident. Okay. That, that is, that's the work of God. <laughs> Number two, the Bible talks about, um, God giving to the church those who are going to teach the Word of God. Now, it's the responsibility of the church at the same time to make sure that those who are teaching the Word of God are accurately teaching the Word of God. Right now, so that doesn't mean that you, you know, you may, you may not know as much as the guy who's teaching, but because we're teaching out of the book where it's written, you can, you can tell at times when, when they are, Deviating, or when they're, when they're moving away from the Scripture. Now, not everybody's going to be able to tell that, but then within, within the church body, remember there are those that God also gives the gift of discernment. All right? So there's spiritual gifts that God gives to people. He doesn't just give them to pastors and teachers. He gives, them, he gives a gift to everybody. So there'll be those who, will, who are paying attention who may begin to ask questions. Asking questions is always good. All right? We, never want to, we, never, we don't want to downplay. Now, someone can ask questions in the wrong way. You know, somebody might be trying to stir something up, but normally people can tell when that's going on. Uh, but, I, but I've told people, I said, even if, if, if you're unsure on something, you should ask for clarification, ask for it to be explained to you. If the one who's teaching, if they are disturbed by that, that's a red flag. Now, it may just be a red flag because the person has a stinking attitude and they need to grow in the Lord. <laughs> All right, that can happen. At the same time, um, if they're just trying to get you just to agree with them or, or just, they just want you to believe certain things, then there's a problem. The, the goal of those who teach the Word of God, they want you to come to understand the truth of the Word of God. They want you to come to see that, that this is what the Bible says. So if you don't believe it the first time it's said, that, that's okay. right? Like I've told you before many times, I want you to believe everything I believe. I want you to believe that but I don't want you to believe what I believe just because I believe it. I want you to become convinced that what I believe is what the Scripture is saying. And, and so that's, that's the goal of teaching. Um, you know, it's not just, here it is, believe it. <laughs> Even though I want you to believe it, and I might tell you to believe it, uh, I don't want you to believe it in a sense blindly. All right, so we want to make sure we ask the questions. It is true, some people can ask questions in unbelief in other words you don't like what's being said so you challenge it now that's not always wrong but if you challenge it and the answer is forthcoming based on scripture worth then, then the onus is on us we we need to submit to what the scripture says period so so there's always this responsibility on on both parties so to speak um but paul wants these individuals to understand that that this is going to happen in the church and so again he says for many And he says, of whom I have often told you. So he's told them before. He says, and now tell you even with tears. So he's not happy about this. He's not throwing a party because he's like, oh, I'm the man. No, he's really bummed about this. He says they walk or they live their life as enemies of the cross of Christ. So it's really very strong language. But again, he's talking about attacks against Christianity that come from inside of Christianity. We we understand there's going to be attacks from outside of Christianity. But the problem here, the greatest danger is the attacks that come from inside of Christianity. So that's why sometimes, I don't do it very often, but there's times when I'm preaching and I I will talk about what maybe a certain well-known pastor has said, and I will tell you who that person was. That's important, because what they've said is not just a little off, it's completely contrary to what the Scripture says. Yes, sir. Aren't those uh, ghosts that have uh, infiltrated among the sheep? And shouldn't the people that are born again, they've got the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So they should have discernment on these things. They should, but they don't. The Bible even says that there's times that the elect will be deceived. So we have happen? to, that's why the Bible says we have to study yeah. to show ourselves approved to do what? Rightly divide the word of God. So what's the assumption? You can wrongly divide it. So just because we have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're going to pick up on it. No, but if you have the right attitude and and, uh, you're searching for the truth in the Lord, Mm -hmm. I think the Holy Spirit being there is the big difference. Yes. Again, that's true, but you just can't make a general statement because a person can be doing all those things and they've only been a believer for six months. They don't know enough. And they can be easily led astray for the rest of their life. So that's why, again, in a church, A, we have a mixture of both belie- of long-term believers and young believers. We're supposed to be looking out for each other. Um, and so, we, so, we, can't, so we, we can't make a general statement in, in the sense that d- if a person's a believer and they're walking right and they have the Holy Spirit, they won't be deceived. That's not true. That, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we can be deceived. That's why there's the warning. Because we can, so we have to do things to prevent that. Well, how do we prevent that? Well, by reading the Bible, studying the Bible, getting together as believers, worshiping God together, praying together, praying for each other, praying with each other, all those things. And even then, we're still dependent on each other to to be kept from being led astray. Because again, remember, some people have the gift of discernment, but not everybody. And so some will be more keen because remember that... um, uh, false teachers can be really very clever. All false teaching, they teach the truth. It's a mixture of error and truth together. And that's why it's, it can be appealing and why sometimes we don't pick up on it right away. I mean, it, it's going to happen to everybody. It happens to all of us. All right, so there's no shame in that. Um, just it happens. But that's why we continue to, to remain disciplined and read and we may be shocked, we may be surprised when someone says something, you know, well, wow, I didn't see that coming, well, I didn't know that. And then there's individuals who, for some reason, change along the way. Right? There was a guy who wrote a, a great book on the attributes of God, and then 10 years later, uh, this individual is denying God. You know, like, whoa, where did that come from? And so if, if someone is reading his works, and those works are being promoted, and they happen to pick up some of the later works Well, they're thinking, well, this, this guy's, I've been told this guy is, is, right, is spot on, and the guy takes him out in the left field. So now we have to keep up with that. So sometimes we'll say, well, so-and-so's earlier work was good, but they've changed. So like, there's a guy that everybody respects, uh, most everybody respects. His name was John Stott. Solid theologian, solid Christian, a lot of great things. All right, As he got older, like in his 80s, all of a sudden he became an annihilist, meaning he didn't believe that you would die and go to hell forever. You would go to hell for a little while and then you would cease to exist. Now the Bible doesn't teach that anywhere, but that's what he began to to promote. So people called him out on it and said, Well, you know, everything that John's done is great except there's this thing over here. And so people need to be aware. So, you know, he's not a, a flaming heretic, but he's wrong on that. Um, so that can happen. So that's why we always have to be on our toes and always be aware. And then, then you have individuals who, remember, you have really smooth talkers. So, so I've told people this before. So the very first time I heard Joel Osteen, before I ever heard him preach, I assumed he was spot on because he does this thing where after they sing and they do whatever, he holds his Bible up. He tells everybody else, hold your Bible up. And he goes through this little deal about the Word of God and how we stand on it and how it's truth. It's great. Then he puts it down, and that's about it. more Bible. <laughs> and he preaches this deal. You know, and he'll quote a few Bible verses, take them out of context, and he's just another way of teaching, you know, the health and wealth kind of thing. It's like, oh, my word. You know, how does that happen? Um, so, you know, we just have to be aware, and that's why there's, all these, there's many places in the New Testament where these warnings, because we are susceptible to being deceived. We're human beings. We're susceptible to that. So we have to know that. Uh, and that's why even uh, Paul tells um, some in another letter, he says you need to teach faithful men the word of God because basically so they can defend the truth um, because the attacks are very subtle. Uh, I've, we've gone through a thing before uh, where uh, Earl, not Earl, What's Bartman's first name? Hmm? What's Bartman's first name? Carl. Carl? Carl Bartman? No, the one who used to, he went, he went to Wheaton College, and then he went to Moody, and now he, he's full-on liberal. He's writing books saying the Bible is untrustworthy. and. Is Bart oh, yeah, Bart Ehrman. I had, the, I had the first letters mixed up. So Bart Ehrman. So we're talking about Bart Ehrman and what makes him very dangerous, because he's really, he's actually, I think, a very dangerous false teacher. Number one, he has credentials that we normally associate with people who are solid. Went to Wheaton College, and he went to Moody, especially Moody. All right. Number two, he because he he knows our language. I mean, that's how he speaks like an evangelical. Number three, he's very good at um, the uh, being where he cleverly mocks Christianity. Right, so he's able to try to undergird your faith, not necessarily with facts, because he doesn't have any facts to do that. But he takes the evidence that we have that clearly show the Bible is trustworthy, and he finds a way to cast doubt on it. And part of the way he does that is by the way he says things. So anyone, anyone who teaches like in a school, like let's say if you were a history teacher, and let's say you were teaching uh, American history, and that's all you taught after several years of giving lectures to your students you've got a you may have known a lot before it's just memorized you, you just you just know all you can you can pull dates off right off the top of your head so you become very familiar well when when you do that with any topic you you become familiar like that so if you're teaching at a college and you're teaching the same kind of stuff every year well your, your kids the, the young adults they don't know that stuff so when someone challenges you well you've been challenged before man, you can come back and climb down their throat without any hesitation. You know how to ask them questions that you already know they're not going to be able to answer because you already know what the general background is. And so what happens is, is the person you're speaking to, maybe, but at least all those who are in the class with you, you immediately assume, whoa, this guy knows his stuff. Well, not really. He's being deceitful. He's clever. But it's a very, it can sound very uh, pervasive, persuasive, and what he's doing, and so, 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 the, I think I've told you before. Like some of the things he'll say, he'll say like, uh, when you were growing up and going to church, your pastor probably never told you that there's parts of the Bible that they took out and didn't tell you. Now that didn't happen, but that's the way he phrases it. And of course, you're sitting in class and going, well oh, I, I never heard that before." And then he'll say, "Oh yeah, you know, there's some parts in the Bible that they, oh, they thought it wasn't good enough, so they added some." Stuff but you didn't know that either. And you're like, I, I had no idea. That's not true either. I, it's just, but he's taken certain things and he's kind of exaggerated the statements. And what happens is you then begin to the question whatever you've heard before. And then he'll say, oh, and then he'll say stuff like this. I wonder what else they didn't tell you. Well, he's, he's helping you with your doubt. So you start thinking, well, well is there more stuff? You know and then he and then he starts going through all these things but if you go through his books there's answers to everything he raises and when you begin to look at all the facts you realize that he, this, he's just misrepresented the truth but he's very persuasive in the way he does it and because he's so familiar with Christian language uh, because of his education and you know, I don't know why he turned against the Lord that I mean in one sense I guess it doesn't matter that's what he's done but the bottom line is is so so I would call him, and what he does, an attack from within the church, right? That's where his education is. That's what he, he still claims to be a, a Christian to some degree. Uh, and so he's not necessarily outside the church saying there's no God. He's saying, well, yeah, there is a God, but you don't, it's not who you think it is, or you don't really know him, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and So that's why the warnings. So that's why, if, if you, you know, hopefully people think that when they come here, Everything we do, there's the Bible. You know, We have Sunday school, we're, we're teaching the Bible. When we preach, we're going through the Bible. We have little Bible studies, we're going through the Bible. You know, we encourage Bible reading. We encourage books that will explain the Bible. You know, that's, that's what everything that we do is, is based on that. We want our thinking to be based on the Bible. That's the source of truth. Um, and we want people to begin to think that way out of a habit. So on one hand, we want everyone to think the same way, but not as clones. We want everyone to think the same way because we all draw the truth from what? What the scripture says. And that's kind of where it's coming from. So that's why he says what he says, and he uses really very strong language and said they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Bart Ehrman is definitely, uh, people like him, an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. Then he talks about this. He talks about their judgment. Just, God knows this is going to happen. He knows this is taking place. So you need to know, well, what's going to happen to these guys? Their end is destruction. That's very, right from the beginning. No one's getting away with anything. Their end is destruction. Then he says, their God is their belly. So when he says that, the word, the word belly, in some translations, is the word appetite. The New American Standard says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. All right, so the, so the bottom line is this, is that it's a, it is a reference to their stomach, but what he, so when he says their God is their stomach or their God is their belly, the bottom line is, is, is they're living for temporal pleasures. So their, their passions, their desires, that's what drives them, all right? So I don't know why Bart Ehrman does all the things he does, but some of the things would be this. He wants... The respect and admiration of others. Uh, he wants to be viewed as being different. He wants to be viewed almost as a hero because he was in the world of Christianity being deceived because he'll say things like this. He'll say, Well, I learned da 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 da, and then he'll make this statement. But then one day, I began to think for myself. What does that sound like? Who's the hero? Well, it's him. For whatever reason, he broke out of being a drone or being whatever and began to think for himself as if that's the highest thing. Now, just so you know, from the very beginning, God actually wants everybody to think for themselves. God wants you and he wants me to think for ourselves. Right? That's why he gives us the word. Right? But he is the source of truth. And you can't get away from that because what is true is true. So submitting to the word of God does not mean you're not thinking for yourself. Logical thinking, rational thinking actually comes from God. The ability to think that way, the Bible is written that way, the Bible presents itself that way. It's always presented logically, rationally. There's nothing in there. God is never asking us to believe anything that is illogical. Even when it comes to miracles, to believe in miracles is not illogical. You have to begin with the definition of who God is. Who was God? If God is truly who he claims to be, then a miracle is just not a big deal. It's a big deal to us because we don't have the ability to do that. That would be normal. But God being able to suspend the laws of nature for whatever reason or override the laws of nature every now and then to accomplish His will, that would actually be very rational. If He couldn't do that, He wouldn't be God. So that's not irrational to believe that. And what God also did, because He knows human beings and that we're going to doubt, you'll notice that when it comes to the miracles, there's always a large number of witnesses. There's a lot of people. Like, you know, the Bible. when the Bible talks about the resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't say, oh yeah, Jesus rose, arose again from the dead, and there's two or three people that he appeared to. You know, they, they had that special privilege of seeing Jesus. No! He appeared to the apostles, and then it goes through all these individuals he appeared to. Oh, and then by the way, he one time appeared to 500 people all at once. Oh, well, okay, that's a little different. <laughs> There's all these, so when the Bible was written and the gospel was being recorded, um, there were plenty of people who were alive who could say, oh, no, 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 that didn't happen. Say, well, actually, I, I know two or three people who they said they saw the Lord. I guess they're not the only ones. I mean, and remember that along with the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus, remember that along with that, the, it says in the Bible that the graves were open and there were some other people who rose from the dead too. Some of those who, are recently de- who were recently who recently deceased, that would be kind of jarring for most people. Um, I don't know about you, but you know I believe in God. I believe in miracles. The whole thing. However, you know I've conducted funerals for. I've done a lot of funerals. If somebody gets up out of the out of the casket, I'm going to be in shock. I mean I know God can do that, but I'm going to be in shock. <laughs> All right, <laughs> like whoa. <laughs> this is not what I expected. Uh, all right? So it's going to be kind of a thing. But at the same time, there's all these witnesses. To all the, that's why when the Bible talks about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Right? There's going to be these rumors. Well, that was just a trick. So what is the author? Make sure you know. Lazarus is dead four days. That's beyond anyone being able to be resuscitated. And Jesus didn't, you know, say, well, we can only have so many people who come and you got to pay you know, 13 shekels apiece to come and see this. No, it was before, the, there was a large number of people that were there, including people who were his enemies. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. And they went back and reported, and what, what they reported was, they didn't report that Jesus fooled everybody. It's not what they reported. They reported there was this guy that was dead for four days. It was Jesus' friend, and he rose from the dead when Jesus commanded him to come forth. And we know that they all actually knew he did that, because when you keep reading in the Gospels, I'm sorry, I'm glad you guys are two rows back, because I'm spraying a little bit. But anyway, so what happened was, is that they had another meeting about how to get rid of Jesus, and then it says, and some of them, in that group, also wanted Lazarus to be put to death, because of him, many more have believed in Christ. So they didn't deny that the guy had been raised from the dead. They, they basically said, we need him to get dead again. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, okay, we, there's a problem here. So, you know, it's all these things in the Bible that God has done for us that helps us to understand that even though something might defy reason, it actually is still reasonable because God has done it in such a way so that there's evidence and proof that, yeah, these things really did take place. And so which is fantastic all right so these individuals then um, uh, they they live for their pleasures that they are enslaved to seeking to gratify their own lust so whether their sensuality is in the area of food or drink or sex or the admiration of others or whatever they think they're going to get from others it is mastering them that's what they're led by they're led by their gut uh, in that sense and so these men posed as christians and then it says and they glory in their shame so they they brag about what they do so now i've read several different books about, about a lot of different types of uh, evangelists and what what goes on and in some of the more charismatic circles um at most of these rallies or most of these revivals or meetings you know they take an offering and so i have i've read some of the detailed accounts of individuals who were working with Benny Hinn and Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland. And when they would pass around, you know, they would have huge, I mean, huge meetings. We're talking like thousands of people that would come every night 5,000, 10,000, whatever, whatever it is. It's gigantic. When they would collect the money, then they would take all the money in the back. And so they had basically, you know, like you, ha- you have to have somebody count the money because you got to deposit and you got to pay bills, whatever. And so they have the money. And so they, they divide the money up. You have checks in one pile, $100 bills in one pile. bills in a pile, $20 bills in a pile, $10 bills, $5 bills, and $1 bills. There's so much cash coming in with some of them that the laundry baskets that they use to collect the money in the the back, the ones and the fives all go together and they just toss it in the corner. And the people who work there, if they want to grab some, they can grab it. They don't even bother with it. It's not worth their time. And they count the tens and ups. And, of course, the checks. And that's what they deposit. And they, make, they bring in a couple hundred grand every night in some of those cases. All right? What drives those individuals? It's the money. All right? And they brag about it. You, it's, it's amazing. You listen to some of them talk about, you know, God wants you, meaning that they want, God wants you to buy me a, a, a G7. You know, that's the latest jet that uh, is made and, and that, you know, so I can do the work of the Lord. And, so, and they brag about it. And when they get the money, 15 million, 20 million, whatever it is to buy that jet, then they brag about it. And there's people out there just going, "Amen." I, I just don't, I don't. I mean, I just think that God wants you to buy me a new truck. I just, I don't want any of jet, but no. All right? <laughs> All right? so, but the bottom line is, is that's what, that's what drives them. And there's plenty of situations where these individuals have, have been caught by those who aren't in the inner group where they hear them bragging about various the, the things that they do that are really shameful um, and then there's all of the we will not go into detail but all the the sexual issues that a lot of these ministries have had it's just it's unbelievable what goes on um, it's no different than what you hear going on in political campaigns and what you hear going on for those who are super rich who don't think they're accountable to anybody you know, where they abuse people, they use people, they use people as objects, um, use them and throw them away. Um, this all kinds of stuff, and that goes on. Now, not everyone who's an evangelist, that happens. But it happens within Christianity. Um, and so that's why the warnings that Paul gives here, and says this is what drives them, this is why, what leads them. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 17. Paul says this, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. So here the word Gentiles, is, he's basically using that um, for pagans, all right? He says they are darkened in their understanding, all right? So he's going to, he's describing, this is what, this is a pagan, okay? So a pagan is, is a person who's, every single person who's not a Christian is a pagan, all right? That individual lives in denial of God. They, they still may say they believe God exists, but you live as if God is either unimportant or you live as if he doesn't exist. So that's really what matters. So, uh, and so because of your sin, you're, you don't become stupid, but your ability to reason, especially about spiritual things, goes dark. Right? And you're not able to, to think real well or clear. Right? Because sin, sin can cloud our judgment and, and affect us. So he says, they are darkened in their understanding... And they are alienated from the life of God. All right? So they are separate from the life of God. God, How God wants us to live, they're separated from that. And he says, why? He says, because of the ignorance that is in them. Well, what are they ignorant of? When they're ignorant of God, how do we, there's only one way to learn about God It's it's the Bible. Okay? It is not your experience. You judge your experience by what the Bible says. The only way you can tell if you have, if someone says, well, I have an experience, and I know that I met God. The only way you know that's actually true is does it match up to what the Bible says. If it doesn't, you, you may have had an experience, but you can't say that it was the God of the Bible. And you should not do that, because you don't know that, right? The Bible tells us clearly, Satan appears as what? An angel of light. I mean, it's clear, right? It, it, it happens, and it can happen. All right, so the bottom line is, is these individuals who their their understanding is darkened, they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that they have, and part of the ignorance is because it's due to their hardness of heart. All right, so they may, uh, individuals like this can read the same Bible that you read, but their heart is hardened to the things of God. So they're not perceiving what God is saying. All right, they may, they, they will understand some things, but they're not getting it; they're not getting it the way they should because the heart is hard. That's what, that's what sin does. It hardens your heart. It hardens your heart to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It hardens your heart to your own sin. It hardens your heart many different ways, and that's what he's saying. Then he goes on to, says in verse, say, to say, in verse 19 of Ephesians 4, they have become callous. All right. So that means they become unfeeling. So you know, if you uh, if you work construction or if you lift weights or whatever, you get calluses on your hands. Right? And the calluses serve a purpose. Okay? You, have these, you, know, you get this hard, thick uh, covering on your skin. The reason why you have that is it protects you from having pain. And if you have soft hands and you got to pick up bricks every day, you'd be in pain every day of your life. Uh, they have to get hardened. In fact, I know in, uh, in martial arts, uh, those who are really crazy about it, um, they do these things, and the boxes, I guess, do the same thing, but I'm familiar with, with what they do in martial arts. What they do in martial arts is they want, you want to be able to make your, your hand like a lethal weapon. So there's a way you can do, there's different things you can do. So one of them is you get a, you get a bucket, and you fill it with, with gravel. And you take your hand, and you hard, like that. Well, it's going it's to make you bleed. All right? And you do that several times in a day, and then you let your hand heal, and then you come back and you do it again. You may have to wait a couple more days, let it heal, and do it again. But pretty soon, what happens is it doesn't cut your hand anymore. And, and, you, and, your, and your hand, your fingers, and your everything becomes hard. So then the individual who's mastered all of that, then when all of a sudden he decides to do, throw a punch where he just takes two fingers and, and hits you in the ribs, that can cause some damage. Right? There's even been where they are able to maybe break a couple ribs by just doing with their fingers. That's not everybody. It's just a few. But the idea is uh, people who've done boxing, you know, they, they will, they'll wrap up their, their fists with some cloth, but they'll punch a cement wall. Now why do they do that? Well, you can break your hand doing that. Well, they don't hit it with all their strength yet, but they do that over and over again, and pretty soon the, the hand becomes hard. So if you get hit by, so you can be hit, hit by somebody who's big and strong, and it's going to hurt, but you get hit by a boxer who knows how to punch and his hands have been hardened, that's very different. And then I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Muay Thai. It's a martial art, Filipino martial art, uh, or Indonesia, and Malaysia, and those places. Um, when, they're, when they're practicing their kicks, they, they'll kick uh, banana trees because they're a little soft, thank goodness, and they kick them with their shins. And they do it, they, they kick, kick these banana trees over and over again until their shin bleeds. All right, and they do that on a regular basis. And after a while, your shin doesn't bleed. And then they keep doing it to where that bone becomes very hard. And I've seen, because I've watched the videos, where they'll go up against an individual who's not maybe as prepared, and they'll kick them in the lower leg. Sometimes they go right through that person's leg. Like snaps. Other times, they just the bruising is so great because that it's like getting hit with a baseball bat, but it's that person's leg. So all that, so that's so when he says these individuals become callous, what's made them callous? Their sin, right? We, they become hardened to that. So when we become hardened, you're hardened to the things of God, but you're also hardened to other people, right? You're hardened to the truth. Um, it's, it's kind of like you're kind of being sealed in by your sin. And and then he says this, and they have given themselves up to sensuality. So again, whatever it is, their lusts, they've given themselves over to that. In other words, as far as they're concerned, they're not trying to pretend that they're not pursuing that stuff. They're they're pursuing money. They're pursuing power. They're pursuing influence. They're they're pursuing um, uh, sexual deals. They're pursuing all of that. that. They're all in on those things. They may not be doing all of that, but they're doing some of that depending on whatever their, their own deal is. And he says, uh, so they give themselves to the sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. All right, so being greedy means that, that, that obviously it's not only driving them. There's, there's this insatiable appetite, all right? They want more, and what they want are things that are impure, and that's what they're lusting after, and that's what they're in a sense committed to. Now, he's talking about individuals. He, he, he says, look, don't live as the Gentiles. This is, how, this is how pagans live. And, of course, the warnings we have here in uh, Philippians and the warnings you have in Peter and the warnings you have in First John is that's what false teachers do as well. Same thing. That's how they're living. So, again, they, the Gentiles, have become callous. They've gone past feeling. They were insensitive to pain. Uh, in context, again, they've become insensitive to shame. They have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greenness. Let me uh, read you what James Dobson wrote this many years ago. And he's just talking about uh, society in general. So uh, listen to what he says. He's making some comparisons. He says, and, and the reason why he does this with our society is, you know, we, as, our, as our country changes, remember that I don't think America we've we've, Christ- America's ever been a Christian nation. It's never been a Christian nation. But it has been a nation that is heavily influenced by the bible that is true and a lot of our morals and a lot of our culture has been shaped by the bible and as we see our culture changing it's because we are moving away from that so remember a person cannot believe the bible the way we do yet still follow some of it they, they'll still say well yeah some of that's that's good I, I i recognize that there's some truth in here or i recognize that yeah as a society we should follow some of these morals because it's good for society, it's good for everybody. So there's an influence that's there, and, and even that influence is kind of it's fading fast in our country. So he's noting how in general, he's looking at a particular area, how just the overall tendency of how we look at things has changed. So this is what he's writing about. 1960. Out of wedlock pregnancy used to be a matter of shame. When it happened, couples often did a quaint thing. They would slip off and get married so that the child would have a name and the influence of a father. Girls who slept around were often ostracized by their fellow students. A pregnant teenager was sent away to have the child rather than risk the censure of the community. 30 years forward, 1990, one out of five babies born in America was conceived out of wedlock. In Washington, D.C., illegitimacy was an alarming 55%. In many schools, the virtuous girl was considered odd and was subjected to the same scorn and ridicule that was once reserved for the easy girls 30 years earlier. Surveys revealed that many of our sons and daughters were embarrassed to admit their virginity. So he's just showing just how in general, the way we view that, so like before, if a girl was in high school and she got pregnant, uh, the parents would take her out of school, they might move her or they might move to another town because of the shame that it brought on the family. Today we applaud, and um, literally they applaud. This I've seen it happen in, in schools. Now, it, I'm not saying that we should somehow put down the individual who's gotten pregnant. It's 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 an unfortunate thing all around. But there's a difference between celebrating it, right? Which is what happens now because it's been proven over and over and over again, just in general, how that affects that woman and the child. The degree of poverty or, or the chance of, their, of them living in poverty goes way up. The chance of, of that individual being involved, in the child being involved in later years in some kind of criminal activity goes way up. It doesn't mean that somebody from a two parent home doesn't have that kind of trouble. They can, but we're looking at the percentages. And so there's a lot of things that are against them all right but and so we have in our country still the percentage of individuals who are having babies out of out of wedlock and because there's this whole idea of kind of poo-pooing marriage you know it's a bad thing and it's just I mean it's just we see all these stats that reveal how crowded our prisons are and I'm not one of those that says well the, the more single parents you have the greater the popu- the prison population it is true I don't think that's the only contributing factor, but it is a contributing factor. One that has to be considered. When it comes to um, all the problems we have when it comes to juvenile uh, gunplay that you know we have I think we've had all these shootings or whatever. Right? A lot of times a lot of times the shooters are individuals that are in the 20s or younger. I mean, it's just unbelievable. All right? Well, part of that goes back to this idea we used to hold parents responsible for their kids. We don't do that anymore. Um, there was a, a true story. This happened in 19, early. I think it was the early '70s. The town in Indiana. Do you remember the town? and They had a huge problem with uh, graffiti and vandalism. It was huge. Like a lot of towns, there was a 10:30 curfew. If you were below the age of 18, you're supposed to be home. You can't be on the street at, after 10:30. A lot of a lot of cities have that. They just don't enforce it. So what this judge did. You know, it's one of those towns small enough that a judge has actually quite a bit of power. So what the judge did, he said, you know what? You got to go to the sheriff. He said, we, we need to address this problem because we're, we're, having, we're having some huge difficulties. So this is the plan. The plan is, is the police were going to pick up all these individuals who were out after 10.30, but it was going to be a little different. They were going to take them home and arrest the dad, <laughs> put the dad in jail at night. No. What happened was within three days, Vandalism dropped 100%. I mean, it just like, boom, gone. All right? Mom and dad knew where the kids were. They were home. Because dad's not going to jail for what Timmy does any longer. That, That ended it. And so this went on for about a month. I mean, people were safe at night. All the other kinds of crimes went down. All the property crimes dropped. As well as the vandalism, everything just dropped. It was amazing. Then a lawyer from the ACLU heard about it, said it's not constitutional. And so they sued the town and said, You can't do that. You can't arrest the dads for, what, for the kid being, you know, for truancy. And so when they basically forced the judge to and the sheriff to no longer do that, then crime increased by almost a thousand percent overnight that's just what happens all right so in our society when you want to talk about education all that I'm not saying it's all the parents fault but it seems today that everybody's concerned about only one thing who's to blame there's plenty of blame to go around It, it doesn't even matter any longer who is more to blame it's everyone and to fix it I don't think anybody wants to do it, not really, because of what it would take. You want to fix, I believe, in Chatham County, the school system stinks. You want to fix it? You've got to go all the way back to kindergarten. No longer pass kids because they've had a birthday. Because in our town, they do that. You have a birthday, you will pass until you get to high school. In high school, they say, well, you're no longer going to be promoted just because of your age. Well, you've conditioned them since kindergarten to not do their work. I mean, some do their work, but I mean, you know what I mean. So that's all these things that have changed. So what happens is, is, society as a whole is no longer offended by any of these things. We're just worried about the blame, and it's just all this crazy stuff. But it goes on in the church as well. And so it affects the morals and the morality of those in the church as well as the society. And we have this problem. It all goes back to man moving away from what God has said, moving away from the Scripture. So there's two, a, a couple of uh, practical applications in light of this. Number one, don't be turned from the truth of the gospel because of the presence of hypocrites in the church. You hear that all the time. You say, well, I don't want to go to church. There's hypocrites there. Now, I, it's not said to me very often, but it is said sometimes. And I, will, and I agree with them. and we'll go, you're right. So I pastor a church. I know there are hypocrites in my church, but I know there's more hypocrites in Walmart than there is at church. Do you go to Walmart? Well, yeah. Well, why do you go there? There's hypocrites there. There's hypocrites everywhere, right? The bottom line is, for most of us, maybe not all of us, but for most of the hypocrites in the church, we know we are. We're we're trying to get that addressed. We're, We're trying to be a people who do not say... Who, not, who don't say we believe one thing and do the other. We're, we're all trying to conform to what the Word of God says. And we're at different stages of growth in there. Some of us are better at that than others, but we're all trying to do that. Right? So this idea that somehow we're going to turn from the truth of the gospel just because there's hypocrites just doesn't hold any water. Again, just because there's counterfeit dollar bills doesn't mean that you give up earning and spending money. right? We don't do that. I say, so give me the money in your wallet. Don't you know there's counterfeit dollar bills out there? Give me your money. (laughs) All right. The reason why there's counterfeits is because the real thing is worth imitating. So again, Satan is always going to make sure that there are counterfeit Christians who talk as if they're true believers, but their lives don't line up. So the existence of hypocrites does not deny the reality of the truth. That's what people have to understand. Yes, there are hypocrites in church. That does not affect whether or not the gospel is true. The gospel is true. That is the only cure for hypocrisy anyway, is the gospel. So even true Christians are going to disappoint you and me, because they are all in process, which means they still sin. Christianity centers on the person of Jesus Christ, not on Christians. And So that's always the key. Say, well, I know that Christians may have let you down, but Christ never did, and that's who we go to worship. No one comes here to worship me. That would be foolish. There's no one here we come to worship except Christ. And Number two, the second thing is this: deeds, the things that we do, are really a more certain evidence of what people truly are than our words. That's always the case, no matter what we say, and that's good that we say the truth. It's good we say we believe the truth, but the way a person lives, or the way a person acts reveals w- their true belief always. That's true for us, first of all, all right we have to look at ourselves. That's true of others, and we need to recognize that. Jesus said that we can spot a false prophet, that we can spot wolves in sheep's clothing by the fruit of their deeds. Sometimes it's it's noticeable right away. Sometimes it takes a while, but nonetheless, it's there. Paul warned of those who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So again, it doesn't mean that believers are sinless, because we're not. For true believer sins, he will make it right by confessing that sin, asking forgiveness, and seeking to rectify the problem. But again, we look at the walk and not the words. And so that's what Paul simply, that's the, that's the advice he's giving them. He says, look, here's the deal. This is what you have to be aware of. I've told you before. There's a lot of these guys out there. He says, it, it hurts me to tell you this, but this is what drives them. This is what they do. This is why they do it. So that I don't want you to be deceived by them. But also at the same time, remember, the Bible is what? It, it's a microscope. You look at yourself first. It's a mirror. Look at yourself first. Make sure this isn't you. Right? This isn't just only false teachers who stand in front of other people. This is for all of us. And the bottom, you know, you you hear, I don't know if you ever do this. I know I do this. When I hear a politician say, well, I'm a Christian too. And sometimes I'm like, um, I'm pretty familiar with what you do and say. I don't think you know what the word Christian means. <laughs> it's kind of like, whoa. Uh, all right. So the bottom line is, is that we do have to make sure that we're, that we're doing that. So again, uh, what he says about these false teachers, back to verse 19, he talks about their mindset. Their minds are set on earthly things. So when he says that they set their mind on earthly things, that means that, they, that they've set their heart or their mind on something. Um, basically, it denotes... The whole action of affection and will and reason. Okay, when you set your heart on something, you're not just saying that you're emotionally attracted to it. You, that, when, you, that means you are committed to it. Heart, mind, and soul kind of a thing. Um, so that means, uh, so, the, so the bottom line, so the, when it says mindset or they set their mind, the Greek word is for nail. And the word for nail refers to the basic orientation or the basic bent. Or the thought patterns of the mind Uh, and so the idea is that you're you're all in on that you know that's the way you think that's the patterns you think in um, that's what you're committed to so the whole person is involved so so it's uh, your affections again your will as well as your conscience and again it's present tense which indicates again that that's their lifestyle so again we want to make sure it's not our lifestyle we always want to make sure we check that. But then we need to recognize uh, that that's what false teachers do. And when you read, I think when you read through 1 John, I think even though he's dealing with the the false teaching of the Gnostics, I think that John does spend some time talking about really the the characteristics of the individual. This is how you can recognize them. This is the way they live. This is who follows them. This is how they talk. Uh, You know, all that kind of stuff. This is how they treat people. Um, And so that's why, Again, none of us are perfect. All right? But if Ron points out to me that I am mistreating a few believers in the church, and I'm being rude to them or whatever, as a Christian, I then will what? If, he's, if, he's, if what he's telling me is true, I, I repent. I ask him to forgive me. I ask them to forgive me. I ask God to forgive me, and I seek to do better. I'm a false teacher. I accuse Ron of coming against God's anointed. I, I said, brother. I said, you are not to be judgmental, and I started quoting all those Bible verses at him because that's my pride, coming out defending myself because how dare he point out anything bad about me because I'm the leader. I I won't do that, by the way, but that's just what happens. And so, uh, so, so it, it is very difficult. One, of the, I think, the most difficult thing for anyone who spends a lot of time teaching, if you if you're in leadership a lot, you know what the one of the most difficult things to hear is. When you've messed up, it's really hard, right? It's not that you think you're always perfect, but it's when you've messed up where you have to do something about it. You know, you have to go tell someone that you're sorry, or whatever. That, I mean, our, we have pride, and it's hard. They don't like it. We, after a while, you tend to think that you do everything right. You don't, and we say we know we don't, but we act like we think we do. <laughs> All right, so. You know, we need to be aware of that. And so sometimes I think the Lord will use that uh, where an individual will be maybe confronted with something they've done maybe to reveal either where they are or maybe to reveal to others that that individual is not who they say they are. Uh, so again, when it comes to good, that's why when you read about the qualifications of elders and deacons uh, in the Bible, there's, you have put the two lists combined. There's only one thing when it comes to being able to teach the word. Now, there's a lot there, but that's just one quality. All the rest are what? Moral attributes. That's to do with your character. That's, that's the most important, is a godly, so you may be a godly individual and maybe you stutter and you're not real eloquent. That's okay. Right? You, you still have to know the word, but if you stutter, that's okay. The most important thing is how do you, you, know, how do you, how do you act? How do you behave? How do you treat other people? All those things. Um, how, how, do you, how do you treat your family how do you deal with when you sin you know all, this, all, all of that so we need to make sure we, we recognize that um, the world the world hates hypocrisy they really hate hypocrisy within Christianity and you know what I'm glad they do I think they should they, should, they revolt against it, it it's, it's wrong when they want to just wipe out all of Christianity because of a few hypocrites they may know so they're, they're not thinking clearly. But at the same time, the fact that they are so... And, I, and I, I, I've heard a, I heard a guy say this, this a long, long time ago. So I'll end with this. He was trying to explain why he thinks the world sometimes gets so upset when Christians are hypocritical. Like, we get upset when a politician is hypocritical, but we get over it pretty quick. We kind of expect that, maybe. When it comes to Christians being hypocritical, he says there's a war going on in their mind. There's two things happening at the same time. There's this conflict. Conflict number one. They actually do want you to mess up. Because if you mess up, they believe in that that's them off the hook. You talk about Jesus, how much do they need Jesus, they see how much you mess up. Uh, it must not be true. Your, your, your life then kind of undermines the gospel. But the reason why they get upset is at the same time they want you to mess up, they desperately don't want you to mess up. They want there to be solid truth that they can kind of hang their hat on. They want that to exist. And so when we mess up, what they thought was that anchor is gone. And, and they get angry about it. I don't, know if it's, I don't think it's true in every case. But I think there may be a lot of truth in that. And so it's a good thing that they get upset. And so, again, before you get upset at others for being hypocritical, make sure you get angry at yourself for being hypocritical. Um, and we'll probably go a whole lot farther and we'll get along a whole lot better if we do that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for the warning that Paul has given to the Philippian believers. We thank you, Father, for the descriptions that he's given. We know, Lord, it carries a great deal of weight because it's in your word. And we also know, Lord, that there's a, a long list of ramifications that, that, you know, the cause and the effect of false teachers, of hypocrites, and how we are to respond to all of that. And we just pray, Lord, you help us to kind of be able to think through that, kind of process that, that, Father, it would motivate us to, to continue to seek to do what's right in your eyes. We desperately need your help, Father, because we, we can so easily sin. We know, Lord, that the flesh really is weak. And even though the Spirit is willing, that the flesh is weak. And, and at times, we can have a great struggle. But the good news, Lord, is that you don't give up on us. You do and you will give us the strength of your Spirit. You will continue to guide and direct us. And as it says in 1 John we confess our sins you will cleanse us and so father for that we we thank you we ask now lord that as we're dismissed from our time together you'll bless and watch over us we pray lord you help us as we pursue righteousness we pray lord that you will give to us a great joy as we know you better and better each day and we ask you to allow us to come together again sunday to be able to fellowship together and to worship you and we ask these things in christ's name amen